Good morning. Um, Nathan, thank you for your kind words. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> mostly kind. Um, we have a lot of fun together um, and challenge each other a lot as pastoral staff. My name is Kenny Cluett, as um, Nathan said, and something about me, I'm what, what you call a third culture kid. Some of you here may actually be third culture kids, know what I'm talking about, are feeling the trauma come up. It's okay. Won't talk too much about it. What third culture means is that you know, you grew up in one culture and then, and, or, or you were born into one culture and grew up in another. I was born here in the United States, but grew up in Spain since I was seven um, in the city of Barcelona and then moved to Madrid. Um, and what that basically means is when you ask me, where are you from? It takes me two minutes to answer. That's, that's what third culture means. So um, beware if you ask me where I'm from. Um, my wife, Marta, and I uh, moved to the States to go, for me to go to seminary at Trinity for a while. And then we ended up I'm feeling that that was a lot of stuff and connected to this church called Christ Community. You may have heard of them. Um, and that's what we're doing now for a bit. And like Nathan said, in eight months, our plan is to go back to Madrid, what we call home, um, and help with the local church there to actually c- kind of plug into what God's doing and multiplying his church around the world. And I'm really excited about that. Um, and that's part of the reason I'm excited about the sermon this morning, because we're talking about God's love for all people. Um, and that just, that just makes me, it gets me excited. Last week, if you were here, we looked at God's promise to all people, you know, how he, how he promised Abraham to build this big family with all nations coming together, and um, it was so exciting. I, I, don't know, I don't know about you, I, I remember hearing it and being really encouraged, and then I, I heard Nathan's sermon, because I was out at um, Leewood to make sure I wasn't repeating stuff, and I was just so encouraged by this vision of God inviting all peoples to come together to his family, to be part of his family, um, and I was just feeling great, and then, then I got home. And I don't, I don't know if you did this, but I turned on the news, um, read the newspaper, maybe you listened to the radio, or God forbid you logged on to Facebook. And it was just so disheartening. My heart just sunk. Because when we look around us, we don't see that promise happening. Right? I mean, I mean think about it. ISIS. Um, this, is, this is a terrible thing. It attacks all over the place, and they're driven by ethnic hatred mixed with radical Islam. That's, that's a bad mix. And, and ISIS is only one example, one radical example of what's happening all over the place where ethnic divisions, cultural divisions are dividing us or separating us where people are warring over that, not coming together. Um, in, in Spain, a, a developed country, and most European countries have something like this, the region I was raised in have just declared themselves independent from the rest of Spain. So that, that's something fun to look towards, forward to. Who knows? We don't know what's going to happen with that. But this is our, our world does not look like this happy family, right? And it's not just out there either, is it? I mean, look, look at our country, the U.S. We haven't been particularly good displaying God's heart for all people. I mean, think about the idea of Thanksgiving, right? What Thanksgiving is about celebrating and thanking Native Americans for saving the pilgrims' lives by providing food and farming techniques. But then after that, we turned around and broke every single treaties. Do you know this? We broke every single treaties we ever signed with Native American nations, um, essentially massacring an entire people group. That's it's definitely not God's love for all people, right? And then there's a movement going on right now of people saying, look, our lives matter. Um, and, and, and regardless of, of where you stand on this, what it's showing is that we're not doing a good job. We're not seeing God's promise fulfilled in our country, in our world. Um, and, then you, and then you look at the church, right? Sometimes the church is even worse at doing this. In the United States, the, the, most, the highest estimates say that about 7% of evangelical churches um, are multi-ethnic, which means 20% or more of the congregations from another ethnic group. Um, that's really low. What that says is that we've conformed to the patterns 
of racial and ethnic separation that our culture brought. And look, I, I know, as you hear this, some of you are being tempted to take sides or to get on the defensive position and say, well, that, that, that's not the point of this. Resist that temptation. The point is to look at our world and say, we're not doing well. We're not, God's promise is not being fulfilled um, in, our, in our eyes. It's hard to see that. And so faced with this, faced with a world in chaos and division, the question emerges, how do we get to God's promise of a big, happy family for all people? Or, or maybe we turn it to God and say, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to use the church to fulfill your promise? And if these are the questions in our mind, then we're asking the same kind of questions that the readers of Revelation were asking. You see, when we get to this book, at the end of the first century, Christians are beginning to suffer some serious persecution. Some churches are giving into the pressure to conform to the values and the patterns of the Roman Empire. Um, and that empire has just taken John, the, probably the last surviving uh, disciple, one of the key leaders of the church, and they've exiled him to Patmos, to an island, to die there. The church is in despair. Um, and then John gets this picture from heaven. It's like a, a chunk of heaven is unpeeled before him. That's what revelation means. Apocalypse means unpeeling or uncovering. And, and he sees something. He sees the end of the story. He sees the end that's already happening. He, he sees it, and it changes everything. It changes his position from despair to hope because he sees this is what God's plan is. This is what God is doing now. And he writes this letter to the rest of the church to encourage them. And, and, and it does, right? We're here. The church survived. So this morning, here's, here's my question. Are, are we being shaped by this hope like the early church was, a hope for all people? Um, or something else shaping us? And look, I want this hope to shape me. I want, I want this hope to be what guides me. So, the, so, so how do we let God's hope shape us today? That's the question we're going to be looking at. And to do that, we're going to try to answer three questions by looking at the text. What this hope looks like how we reach it and why we can trust it, what, how, and why. So if you have a Bible or if you have your phone, if you could just open it to Revelation chapter 7. Um, let's start looking at this text. So first, what? What does this hope look like? Um, and what it looks like is a hope that we've never seen before, something we've never seen before. Let me, read, um, let me read this passage over again, just emphasizing what we're seeing here. Revelation 7, chapter, or chapter 7, verse 9, says this, After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And what do we see here? We see masses of people. Remember throughout Scripture how, how God kept re telling Abraham what he was going to do? He said, I'm going I'm to build a people out of you, and it's going to be about 150,000 people. No, what did he say? He said, they're innumerable. You're not going to be able to count them. And here we see this mass that can't be counted. See what's happening? It's the fulfillment. And we see a representation from every tribe, every people, every language, every nation, every single family group on the earth, no matter how you define people group, they're there. And they're differentiated. They have their cultural markers, but somehow they're all together worshiping with one voice. And then it goes on, look at verse 11, it says, and, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. In other words, you, you not only have all these people gathered around, but you have the angels from heaven looking at this saying, this is amazing. You have the elders that, that, that are ruling the entire wor world, and then you have these, 
these animals. Um, and if you remember Revelation, the, these animals are like these giant animals with eyes all over themselves. Um, kids this morning, if you want to try to d- draw those animals, I'd love to see it later. I mean, it, it must be incredible, this sight. But everyone's gathering to see this. Why? Because God has done it. This is a massive worship party, and God has done it. He's finally brought everyone together, and all of creation is amazed. You see, what we're seeing here is a hope greater than anything we've ever seen. It's not a country that we've seen or, or an experience that we've had. It's not something we can build or, or, or point to. It's bigger than that. Only God can achieve this. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you saw all nations come together and party? Um, in, in Europe, we have this joke that illustrates how difficult this is. We, we say this, heaven is where chefs are Spanish, of course. Um, police are British, mechanics are German. That may not work anymore. Lovers are French, and it's all organized by the Swiss, right? So that, that's heaven. And if you go to hell, um, you know, hell's where the chefs are British, police are German, mechanics are French, lovers are Swiss, and of course, it's all organized by chaotic Spaniards. Um, but, but, but seriously, let me just, I mean, that's a way to say it, but, but, but let's, let's imagine this. If you want, close your eyes with me. Let me just try to illustrate this. Just imagine there's Brazilians over here dancing their samba and whistling and, and celebrating to God. And then you have Africans leaping together and rejoicing loudly, the cosas clicking, um, the Malagasis from Madagascar singing their harmonies beautifully. You have the Spaniards in the corner doing their palmas, right? That's what we do in Spain. You have Peruvians and Ecuadorians with their flutes playing beautiful melodies. You have Russians leaping around in circles and Samoans and Maoris doing, stomping their hakas for their God. You have Indian dancers elegantly moving their hands, worshiping their astounding God. And you have Native Americans with their bells doing their powwow before God. You have African Americans dancing to a thousand beats freed from any hindrance or shame. All nations worshiping him with all their culture brings. And then you have the Scandinavian Americans, right, in the corner kind of nodding their heads, <laughs> sort of to the beat. It's a solemn kind of worship. But can you begin to imagine what this looks like, how big it is, how great it is? Well, it's bigger. It's greater. There's people groups there that we've ne- we don't even know about. There will be people groups there that didn't even know about us as a people group. It will be an amazing celebration. It's something we've never seen before and only God can achieve. Because you see, when we try to do this, when we try to bring cultures together, um, when we try to interact with other cultures, what we tend to do is try to make them become us. We had a a, a big conference, CG 2015, you can hear the talks online, and one of our speakers was Brian Fickert. Um, and, And he said this, he said, the goal should not be to turn New Delhi into New York. The goal should be for both to look more like New Jerusalem. See, the goal isn't to make Baghdad look like Kansas City or to make East of Truce look like Olathe. The goal is for all of us to look like the New Jerusalem. And that takes all of us coming together, all of us bringing our gifts and making space for one another. So here's the question. Are we ready for that? And how do we begin to get ready for that? And, and here's, the, here's the answer. We have to place our hope in the right place. We have to place our hope in the right thing. See, we have to stop hoping in what we've seen or experienced here on earth. It's too small. It's too limited compared to what God wants to do. You see, our country, with all its good things and and other countries, they are not the city on the hill that God's inviting us to. It's New Jerusalem. Our hope is too small if we hope in things we've seen. So let me ask us this morning, where, where are we placing our hope? What hope is shaping our vision and our actions? Um, a few weeks ago, one of our global partners, 
Christ Community has five global partners, and each campus kind of interacts with one. Um, so what, one of our global partners called Elam that operates primarily in Iran was speaking at, um, a few people were speaking at Leewood, and we heard from a pastor who had planted seven churches in Iran. Um, she, she told us how he had, she had fallen into despair because she was in solitary confinement in prison. Pretty understandable, right? A woman in a prison in Iran in solitary confinement doesn't sound like a great place to be. And uh, so she said she was crying and worrying about her family and fellow believers. Um, she was wondering, asking God, why have you called me to this if this is what was going to happen? And, and she said she, she felt God speak to her, and this is what he said. He said, you're acting as if I were dead. You're acting as if I were dead. So she wiped her tears off. She stood up. She stretched out her arms. She repented, and she started worshiping God with a loud voice. Ironically, in Iran, one of the few places you can worship God with a loud voice is in prison because it's illegal elsewhere. You see, God reminded her not to put her hope in the circumstances she could see, but in the hope he was bringing. And another speaker came up and he asked us, he said, what do you think of when you think of Iran? Hey, you know, I I watch the news. I try to keep informed. I I feel I'm a global citizen. So I'm like, well, there's wars. There's, you know, I can almost pronounce um, Hamadineyap, you know, the the ruler. I worked on that for years. I'm like, it's terrible. And, And he said, chaos, confusion, terror, right? And I'm like, yeah, got it. And he said, well, that may be true, but it's also the fastest growing church in the entire world. Did you know that? I felt ashamed, to be honest, because I, was real, I realized that I was letting the headlines of my news outlets or, or wherever I go for information, I was letting that control my hope. I was letting that be my hope that I work towards rather than listening to God's word and seeing what God's doing today. See, when I, when I saw my headlines, it, it was despair. But when I listened to God, there was hope that made us work differently. See, so often we put our hope in our culture, our media, our people group, our economy, our next president. We let that guide our way of seeing the world. And it's a problem because when we, we begin to desire that goal and we get, begin to lead there, and you know what? It's going to end up in despair because at some point your party's not going to win. Um, at some point your country's going to be invaded. And that hope that you had isn't going to work. This isn't a prophecy about America. I'm not saying that, but stuff is going to fall. But when you put your hope in what God's doing, you can't be disappointed. I mean, think about it. How often when we hear about wars or rumors of war, um, what what do we do when we hear, and this is is one that's going to hit us close, but when we hear about refugees or immigrants coming to our country, if we let our vision of safety, our hope of safety and comfort, if that's what's shaping us, our immediate reaction is going to be fear. I'm not saying a reaction after thinking through stuff and figuring, I'm saying our immediate reaction, our knee-jerk reaction is going to be fear and, and rejection. But if we let God's hope shape us, I wonder what our reaction would be. I wonder. Friends, put your hope in New Jerusalem. It's going to be greater than anything we've ever seen, than anything we will see. And of course, as we, as we begin to imagine this, what happens is we, we start asking, well, okay, I get it. It's a great vision, but how do we get there? And here's what the text says. It says we get there together. That's how we reach there. You see, in this vision, it's a tight group of people, right? These aren't people that, oh, we're going to celebrate. We'll do this once, then we go home. No, these people are respecting each other. They're listening to each other. They feel completely empowered to express their culture, and they're giving space for other cultures to express themselves 
They're celebrating each expression before God. It's a pure worship service. And that means they've practiced this before. They've been doing this for a while. And that's how we get ready for the party. We start traveling together with other cultures, with other people groups. And look, this isn't something I'm making up. It's not something we're reading into the text. This is the thread of Scripture. I mean, think about it. Think of how many times God is asking people to come together to worship Him. From, from the Garden of Eden, He's bringing people together. And then you get this promise to Abraham that's repeated again and again with all these nations. Um, you have David's Psalms about all the nations. Have you ever wondered, like, what's that all about? All these nations coming together to worship God. This is what He's saying. We have prophecies throughout Scripture of Israel worshiping with other nations, of Egypt and Assyria. There's one prophecy in Isaiah. Egypt and Assyria are coming together with Israel to worship God. These are their two worst enemies, and God's saying, you guys are going to come together to worship me. Then you get to the New Testament, right, and you have Jesus healing a Roman leader's daughter. It's scandalous. He's bringing the nations together, and then Paul blows it all out of the water, right? He says, Gentiles and Jews, you have to worship together. Paul basically says, if, if you're just Gentiles or just Jews, it's not church. Church is when you come together reconciled by Christ who took down the barrier of hostility, right? This thread goes through all of Scripture. And when John sees the vision of Revelation, it's God's trajectory fulfilled. All nations coming together, seeing a bigger God. All nations worshiping together. So recently for the sermon, actually, I, I reread a book um, and in, in, a, in a minute, it'll, it'll come up in a slide. This, this is one of the books that guided our discussions for our new global strategy. You heard a bit about that last week, I think. Um, and we, we rethought through our whole global strategy. And this book led us, it's called um, Western Christians in Global Mission, What's the Role of the North American Church? Which is a huge question in missions right now. And it's written by a guy named Paul Borthwick, a missiologist professor at Gordon-Conwell. Brilliant guy. Um, but what, the majority of the book is about teaching Americans to listen to other cultures. And he does that because he is American. And he tells all these stories of how he, this brilliant scholar, kept being reminded and taught by other cultures how to do things and how important that is. Um, so one of the stories he tells, he, he was in China once um, and he went to a church with a few new Christians. And after the service, he, he didn't understand anything. He, he, he writes this, he says, after the service, we all went out to lunch together. And I asked the four young Christians, your pastor, is, is he a good preacher? Um, and I was thinking more of his oratory, his stories, and his exegesis. That's how you interpret the text. The young men all nodded. And one of them replied, oh, yes, he's a very good preacher. He suffered in prison for many years for the gospel. And the author goes on and says, when we engage with people from the majority world culture, from the majority world church, sorry, many of whose lives are characterized by hardship and suffering, they ask us, not unlike Thomas asked of Jesus, Show us your scars, and then we'll believe that you understand the same gospel that we've embraced. You see, by listening to our Chinese brothers and sisters, we're going to understand much more deeply what it means to suffer for Christ. And what God's suffering for us is, frankly, we're going to see a bigger God. We need to travel with them. I remember the, the first time I went to my, my wife's region in Spain. It's called the Basque Country. It's up in the north. Um, and I went there to visit some friends and to, you know, get to know this girl that I ended up marrying. And I stayed with a friend, and I was amazed because he gave me his bed and he slept on the floor. And then he canceled all his plans for the next few days and just spent time with me and took me around to everywhere I wanted to go. Hospitality, the concept of hospitality became larger for me. The biblical concept of hospitality became larger for me. We need other cultures to help shape us. And, you know, a lot of times when Spaniards come here to the U.S. or people from other countries, they're astounded 
by the generosity that Americans have. Quite frankly, this country is full of people, of Christians who really believe the gospel and are generous with their funds and with their time. And we learn from that. We need you in the global world, in the global gospel. We need to learn from you, those kind of things. We need to travel together as different ethnicities and countries. Because for so long we've tried to turn New Delhi into New York. But we need to build together. We need to travel together to New Jerusalem. And you know, the, the thing about it is it's not just a pretty vision, right? It is that. It's an exciting vision, but it's not just that. When we don't travel together, we're actually in danger of misrepresenting God. We're in danger, this is, we're in danger of missing the gospel. Um, again, from this book, Paul Borthwick shares um, about, he was, he was in this meeting where they were with a lot of people, a lot of church leaders from different ethnicities, and it had gotten pretty intense, and he was discouraged. And he said that one of his friends from another country came up to him, and he said, let me read. He says, Brother Paul, we must have all these conversations and disagreements because if we do not, we will find ourselves worshiping our own tribal God. We'll find ourselves worshiping our own tribal God. And, and Paul Borthwick goes on and, and he says, he reminded me that Western theology and non-Western theology must engage in thoughtful listening conversations. Why? Because we all interpret the scripture through our own cultural lenses. You see, if we try to travel alone to this city, we may end up traveling to the wrong place because we may end up building a God that's not the God of the scriptures because the God of the scriptures is for all people. We must travel to New Jerusalem together. And in fact, that was one of the principles that led us to revamp our global strategy. Some people in this room, I think, were actually in that conversation. Um, and, and we came up with this mission statement that tried to capture this. Let me just read it to you um, just so you know at least how we're thinking about it. We, we say this, we desire to develop relationships right, with, with other people and share resources with organizations who are helping the local church flourish around the world. world. In other words, we, we share resources and relationships and reciprocity, and we, we've tried to build processes where we're not telling our partners, these are our standards, these are, these are the goals that you have to meet to be a good American mission, but we're saying, we're sitting with them and saying, what, are, what is your objective as, as, as an organization? What are you looking for? And so often, when we actually listen to their goals and what they're looking for, we kind of go back to our mission as a church and go, maybe we should, we should shape our mission like theirs, right? Because there's so much we can learn from one another. And they, they say they learn from us as well, so we'll just believe them on that. But friends, we need to travel together to this heavenly party. It's so important. Let me just take, let me take a pause for a second because this is big stuff and it's, you're saying, well, Kenny, I can't travel to China, you know, and meet all these people, but... We can start doing some stuff now. So let me just give you two steps. And these are just two steps. There's so much more that we can do, but two easy steps. First, start reading about and from other cultures. Um, you, you might want to start with this book, Western Christians and Global Mission. If you're interested in this, pick it up. It's easy to read. He's nice um, to Americans. <laughs> Often these books are like, man, so this is a good starting point and it has a good bibliography to start from. Um, pick up Operation World. You can find it online as well, which talks about different ethnic groups and people groups around the world um, and start praying for them. Just get used to listening to these things. Another, another thing that's really helpful is to read non-white authors. And look, there's nothing wrong with white authors, um, I promise. <laughs> but if that's all we're reading, we're only getting one slice of a perspective of God. You, you hear what I'm saying? So, so there, there's so many other authors we can read. Let me just give you one recommendation. I started with this book. It's by Sung Chan Ra, who's a Korean-American professor at North Park. Um, a, a, a theologian, and it's called The Next Evangelicalism. It's a great book, and it just introduces you to different expressions 
of the church. He talks about all the immigrant churches in the United States. Um, he talks about African-American, and he kind of just gleans learnings from all these churches and how we can integrate them. Start reading other cultures. But, you, you know, that's not the only thing you can do. The, the second thing is go meet your neighbors. You know, one of the great privileges of living in the United States is all the nations are here. In fact, you are some of the nations. I, I, I bet here, if we look back to our ancestries, there's 20 or 30 countries in this room, right? And then there's so many new people that are coming that we can meet and listen to and learn from. Um, did you know in Kansas City, there's at least 33 people group with significant numbers, which means 100 or more. 33 people groups in this little city tucked away in the Midwest. It's not that little. Um, we have people from, we have Bhutanese, we have Pakistani, Sudanese, Burmese, Chinese, Latinos, which are like 10 different people groups. You even have a few Spaniards. You can go meet them. Take them out for an expensive lunch. No. <laughs> but meet these nations. They literally live next door to you. Um, and and it's, it's hard sometimes um, be, because we patronize them so much and we miss certain things and it feels awkward. But make an effort. Reach out to them. Listen to them. Offer hospitality and receive hospitality. And look, it's not just international people. We have African-Americans. We have Latin Americans. We, we have Asian Americans. We have Native Americans. They live around us. Welcome them. Be welcomed into their homes. Um, students, you know how to do this better than us. Right? You go to school. You probably go to school. In your school, you probably interact with more nations than your parents ever have. I, I, I'm almost positive, especially in Olathe. There's so many different nations. Teach us. Um, invite a friend over and have your parents figure out how to cook something that doesn't have pork or whatever the, the requirement is. But you know more about cultures than we do. And our students here at Christ Community, our middle school and high school students, have already begun to do this. They're hanging out with CFBC students, going down to their neighborhood, doing camps together, learning how to interact across a racial barrier that's been so firm in our city for so long. Students, teach us how to do this. Lead this church into a new moment, to a new phase. And maybe you're here and you're, you're not part of the majority culture already. And you're probably hearing this going, oh no, 20 more people are gonna, you know, smile at me bigger and make me feel more awkward. And I know we're terrible at this. I, I, I know it. Um, but please, if you're called to this church as your home church, help us. Help us. We need you. We're ignorant. Um, we don't know how to do this and we need your culture expression. Live it out amongst us. Um, you see, when we really start learning from others, we're gonna start to see a bigger God because we're going to look through other people's eyes. When we sit at the feet of other cultures and learn their worship language, our God's going to be bigger, and it's going to look a lot more like the God of the Bible. And here's the thing. As we do this, it's going to be discouraging. It's going to be difficult. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to be accused of making mistakes, and we'll think we didn't do them, and then we'll realize we did. It'll be tough. Um, it's very tough. We may be asking, you know, how do we know that this hope, that this is the hope, let me tell you, the scripture tells us we know this hope is true. We know this hope is secure because of the Lamb. Open, open again to Revelation chapter 7 and notice, particularly in verses 9 and 10, who's the protagonist? Who's at the center of every single verse? Let me just read those again. It says, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And then you look at verse 10. What are they crying out? They're crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, this vision of every tongue, tribe, and nation, it's impossible without the Lamb that was slain. He alone purchased a people. He ransomed a people for God. 
You know, that's why they're, they're all wearing right robes because finally they've been able to cast away all shame. Shame of themselves and shame that people have, have put on them. They're able to be free from guilt. They're able to finally come together and celebrate a victory together, right? That's why they all have palm branches. For the first time in history, all nations are coming together and celebrating the same victory rather than all nations watching Spain celebrate winning the World Cup in a couple years. You can pray for that. Um, you see, in, in, in Revelation 5, there's this, there's this crazy scene. And you know, Revelation's a crazy book. It's hard to understand what's going on sometimes, but... This scene, they're, they're opening these seals, right? And the seventh seal needs to be opened, which represents a kind of ultimate judgment and redemption of the world. Um, and, and they start asking, who's, who, who's going to open this? Who's worthy to open the seal? And no one comes forward. Remember the scene? You probably heard it before. And John starts weeping. He starts crying. He's like, there's really no one worthy of opening this. And an elder gets up and says, hold on, there's someone. There's the lion of Judah. They're like, whoa, a lion, that's awesome. And then out comes a lamb. <laughs> And this lamb has scars, he's slain. And, and this is what it says um, when he gets there. He, he starts opening this and they sing before him. They say, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. You see, the only being who was ever worthy enough to really gather all cultures to himself, all people to himself was the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus. You see, all of us, each one of us, what we do is we exalt ourselves above others. We find something in our culture, in our heart, in our education, something to put ourselves above others, right? But Christ, who was above everyone, what he did is he emptied that. He emptied his status, his privilege. He emptied everything. That's what it says in Philippians 2, and he came down and became not only like us, he became like a slave and served us. His culture, he, he put it aside to come under us and help us, to save us. He gave up all his privilege and he came down and entered into our culture. And like a lamb, we led him to be slaughtered. By doing that, he redeems all cultures. That's why he's the only one that's worthy because he paid it all for all people. And that's also the key to how we win this, to how we get engaged in this. He, he modeled a posture for us, right? People ask me sometimes, they say, Kenny, what, what's the key to multi-ethnic um, ministry? Like, I would know. Um, and I say, look, the, the one thing I've learned is, <laughs> is to lament and repent constantly. That's the, that's the one thing you can do. And you look at the Lamb of God and, and His posture is, is of sitting with people, listening to them, lamenting over them. You notice in the Bible, Jesus cries most of the time because He, he listens to people and He feels them and He listens to different cultures. Christ... He didn't prize his culture or his ideas above others. That's part of the posture that we're to adapt. He gave them up to be with us. He sat with us. He stood with us. He listened to us, and he embraced us, right? He died for us, and then he rose to give us the absolute hope. Christ rose from the dead. So not only did he win the victory for us, but he also rose and invited us up to his city, which gives us a hope that's unbreakable. If he could beat death, what, what can beat him? Nothing. The fact that Christ is risen, and in this vision that Christ is risen in the center, means that there's hope for all of us to join, regardless of where we're coming from. So don't you want to be shaped into that hope? Don't you want that, 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 that hope to shape the way that you're living? Well, live today in light of God's hope for all people. Live today in light of God's hope for all people. Let God's hope for all people shape your life today.
start practicing. No, I know this is a big challenge for a lot of us. Um, it's a big challenge for all of us. It should be. And it'll take a lifetime. But one of the ways we, we can begin, one of the ways we can step into this, even this morning, is by participating in the meal, in the foretaste meal of this great celebration. Right? Remember when Christ gathered his disciples right before his death? He said, I'm going to give you a meal, and you celebrate this until I come again. And when we get Revelation, we see this huge banquet. If you keep reading Revelation, you'll see it. I think it's just a little later. You see this huge celebration, on this huge banquet where, where the bread and the wine have turned into so many great foods. But today we come together around Christ's table and we remember that he gave his life and that by that he's invited us into his body. You know, when we come around the table, we come in a group of people and we all stand at the same level at the table of Christ, don't we? Regardless of our culture, our socioeconomic status, our education, we're all at the same level bowing before Christ at his table. And we come together. Something I love about Christ's community is we, when we come to the table, we come in groups of four to, to six, right? And we, and we take it together and we're reminded that we're part of one body. The other thing that's amazing is every, every culture in the world, every, every Christian church and every culture in the world does this. They come to the same table. So literally as we're coming to this table, we're celebrating with churches all around the world, um, maybe even at the exact same time of a midnight service in Spain or something. I don't know. Um, so I want to invite us to do this this morning. And as you come to the table, I, I, I just want you to think of this hope. Put your eyes on this hope that God's giving you and, and thank him as you come that you get to be part of this by participating in his table, by taking from his body and by becoming part of his body. Um, so at, at Christ Community, just to tell you how this works, we practice what's called open communion, which means you don't have to be a member to participate, but we do ask that you be a follower of Christ. If you haven't yet put your trust in Christ, I'd invite you to just sit for a second and think about it. He's inviting you to a city. Maybe this is the time um, to, to take a step forward and say, hey, that, that sounds like something I'd like to be a part of. Um, if you do come, well, there's four stations, two in the back, two in the front. And you gather in groups of four to five people, um, take the bread, dip it in the juice, and then we'll partake together. Um, but before you come, let us remember Christ's words. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you're ready, please come.